0: Live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter. It is May 29th, and I'm Sean McCraney, your host. Listen, we're going to do part three, air part three tonight of my interview with John Delin. Part one and two are on the site. They're also on mormonstories.org. Had a great time. Part three is really important to me personally because uh, we talk about other uh, churches in the state. We get specific about South Mountain Community Church. Uh, and uh, we just kind of hit it head-on. So I hope you enjoy that program. Next week, we're going to... Eric Jurdy of Near-Death Experience came and visited us for a uh, few hours today. We pre-recorded that. And after that, we're going to get back to our live shows and talking about all kinds of different stuff. But we'll uh, we'll start airing Eric Jurdy and Near-Death Experiences next week. But for now, tune in. Listen closely, take notes. John Delin interviewing me for the second time, part three.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome back to part three of my interview with Sean McCraney, born again Mormon. Uh, I am Dr. John Delin. This is Mormon Stories Podcast. It is May 15th, 2018. And for those who joined us in the first two episodes, we're bringing back Sean McCraney. Eight years ago, we interviewed him. Since then, a lot of cool things have happened. You'll have to listen to parts one and two to figure that out. Uh, In part two, we talked about his theology, his beliefs. Now, and now it's time for the throwdown. Ah! Are you ready? Ah! (laughs) We just had technical glitches and asked him to repeat his enthusiasm. So that was feigned enthusiasm, but it was good. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sure you meant it some. I did somehow. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about a few things. So um, uh, I'll give a little disclaimer. Uh, Sean's gonna love this disclaimer, <laughs> but uh, on Mormon Stories the past you know year or two, we've been trying as part of what we do to feature spiritual paths that people who leave the LDS church take. We've interviewed people from uh, Denver Snuffer, uh, his, his uh, tradition, uh, we have uh, interviewed uh, people from the South Mountain Church, the South Mountain Community Church, here in Draper, Utah, and um, uh, so I'll give a little background to this part three, and this was really the main reason, one of the main reasons we ended up doing these series of interviews. So I, I, you know, I, um, I'm, I'm asked by one of my listeners, hey John, you ought to come to South Mountain, they'd love, you know, to have you interview them, and you know, again, I knew a couple cool people who went. So I'm like, okay, I'm open to this. Some of the people that work for me were interested in it. So it takes a couple months, but we end up working out a deal where we come to South Mountain Community Church. Uh, No, they didn't pay us. There was some rumor that we got payola for that interview. No truth to that interview, but we go and we check it out. And I, you know, I have to admit that when I went and Sean doesn't want to hear me say this necessarily, (laughs) but when I went, I thought the campus was beautiful. I was very impressed, Uh, people were enthusiastic, the energy was really high, the facilities were beautiful, Uh, the childcare was exceptional in the sense that they had windows, they did background checks on all the the people taking care of the kids, Um, the the, the windows allowed you to make sure that your kid was being protected, they had coffee there, who's not going to love that, Um, and then in the sermon itself. Uh, there was really interesting and fun music no fog machine that's a really important part <laughs> to mention given uh you know Sean's criticism earlier in this episode um, and uh the the sermon was the, the music was enjoyable it was it was kind of uplifting and uh the sermon was very practical uh the the pastor Rick talked about um you know uh, not not going into debt about being a responsible financial steward, saving your money, saving for retirement, being practical. There wasn't some hard press for uh, tithing or, or donations. It seemed very you know low pressure. And then I was surprised at the end. It's like stay for 15 minutes if you want. We're going to do our financial review. And Pastor Rick did a full financial review with full transparency of all the finances. Uh, they've got a board of directors. It's it's an independent board of directors. I mean, you know, I, it didn't necessarily persuade me to like join. Uh, it didn't resolve, you know, the interview didn't resolve a lot of my core theological or doctrinal concerns. But I thought, man, this is a nice option for people leaving Mormonism who still believe in Jesus. Uh, you, people could wear jeans, they could wear shorts, they could wear t shirts. It just seemed like all of the weird stuff was stripped out. And, and, they had these little special interest groups for people who had been divorced, for people who had been Mormon, I think for people who had experienced abuse, like they had all these services that they were offering. And they had like five campuses. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm I'm not gonna go, but this is cool. So fast forward, I don't know, weeks, month, whatever it was, I get this call from Sean McCraney. I'm like driving down the road and it's like, Sean McCraney, I think it was a text, it was like, how dare you interview the south mountain people blah 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 um i can't believe you do that there are you know i don't want to say that you said they're awful but you know these people are whatever it was you said and i was like i was surprised like i know that there's always going to be rivalry i know that there's always going to be you know people feeling like it's a you know a, a fixed pie and that it's a scarcity sort of world and and if somebody's got more money or more followers, that might make someone else, you know, be jealous. But but I know you well enough, Sean, to know that that's not how you're wired. Thank you. Like you want, you have not been in this for the money and you have sacrificed. I know you well enough to know you've sacrificed an incredible amount. Mm-hmm. So I was just kind of like, and I haven't even really drilled down with you on that. Mm-hmm. We've had a few small conversations, but... uh You know, so I want to begin by understanding why, you know, why you were so upset about that. And let's start by having you acknowledge the good, or can you acknowledge all the good that I just mentioned? The people were smiling, happy. They felt like they were following Jesus. They felt good about it. And they felt inspired and uplifted. And they were no longer in the Mormon church.
0: Yes. They had community. Yes, I can acknowledge that about what your experience was. I believe that is probably very accurate. I think it's the same accuracy you would have if you go to Disneyland. And I think it's the same uh, experience you would go if you go to Temple Square. You're going to find happiness, you're going to find clean ground, you'll find a real well appointed uh, gig, you're going to see everything on the outside that looks wonderful disneyland mormon church south mountain k2 Uh, i have a really close friend
1: smart guy honest guy goes to k2 says he loves it says he loves k2 because it's got more uh, urban people more poor people mixed in it's Mm -hmm. less of a suburban affluent kind of thing it's more all types anyway
0: got it uh, understand and i have no heartburn with the right for uh, people to do church and that it does serve a purpose for people who are looking for uh, proper child care and good grounds and five campuses and all of that. That's, that's, I get that. I understand that's what church is, okay? But let me now explain a couple things. First of all, we're in the state of Utah. And second of all, we were on the air and we were talking to people about leaving the Mormon church because of false doctrine and corrupted history. And we're, we're trying to preach that the solution is not religion. Because if the solution was religion, they should just stay Mormon. I mean, you're going to have cultural hall. I went to the Mormon church. I saw a good kitchen. I saw scout leaders. I saw uh, men who seemed to live good lives. I didn't hear them talking about money every time I went. They only talked about money once when I was there. I didn't see anything that you're talking about. And that's, I agree, you don't see it when you, when you, when you just kind of go and visit. All right, But we're in Utah, and there's people who are leaving Mormonism, which is the religion of their, of their lives. And they had a relationship with Jesus of some sort in that religion. And they've left it having been burned by religion. Now that is something dear to my heart and yours. Uh, maybe yours, but certainly mine. I was burned by what I once believed true. And I was burned by the fact that I was in the bondage and shackles of a religion, because I believe that's what God wanted me to do and be with my time. He wanted me to go to the temple every month. He wanted me to do these things so that I would be worthy before him. So it got a hold of me, and when I was able to take the hooks out and see what it was, I said, okay, not good. Not good. So I left. So we do the show, and we're reaching out to LDS people, and we find out they're going to churches like South Mountain. So we say, well, what are they feeding them? So in that one month that I took off in 2012, I go and visit South Mountain. I walk in. There are at least eight, maybe 10, maybe eight booths that are outreaches for great causes. Feed the Ethiopians. Help the starving nuns on the ship of Magala. Do this. Do that. And then all these causes that everybody can be part of because it's Christmas time. And I know right off the bat how that works in religion. I've been around it long enough that the church takes all of the money donated and then they appropriate the amount that should go to those causes and they keep the rest. It's a skim and they do that. I noticed that when you interviewed South Mountain, they said, we're not gonna tell you our salaries. They clearly said that to you. They may have been open with their financials. They didn't say their salaries. They have five campuses. Why? Because a percentage of the money they take is that percentage. And if they open more and more, the bigger the churches get, the more money they make. So they want more campuses. So, but the bottom line to this, all of it is that sign behind me, which says freedom in Christ. When people come out of Mormonism, they don't know what that means. They are like lambs for the slaughter. And the wife says to the husband, well, we've left the Mormon church. We have kids. Let's let's at least go to church. And they walk into a place like South Mountain. Do they get handed to them in that situation that you just described, being so beautiful and great and and going? Do they get freedom in Christ? What does that look like from a biblical perspective? Let me tell you, John, it does not mean being a member of a church, it does not mean paying money ever to a church, it does not mean tithes ever. It doesn't mean any pressure to give to anything for the church. It means going and hearing the word of God taught. And so I have to look to see what does South Mountain do? Now, it provides plenty of services and it provides all kinds of great things that you like for your family and activities and things like that, but I'm not looking at it from that view. I'm looking at it from, are the people going in there, going in, getting involved, and experiencing true freedom in Christ. What you don't know is Derek and I went and sat down with Paul Roby and the guy who was on the stage with you, Rick, I think his name was, and we confronted him straight up about the tithes, straight up. I said, to him, you know, you're over there, you're, your a million dollar building. He says, uh, $2 million building. Oh, Wow, I never knew that money and materialism, especially with my eschatology, is part of the gig. I didn't know that you need to have some kind of facility that does everything for everybody that makes them feel really good, was part of faith in Christ, who didn't have a place to lay his head. We're talking about a night and day corporation versus a relationship that those people coming out of Mormonism should walk in there, they should hear, you are free in everything. What would Paul Roby do if a person came in and he was in the lobby after church saying, yeah, I'm gay and I proudly live it. This is my husband. What would Paul do? I guarantee you that would not last. Wouldn't no, no, last?
1: no, no. They they had on stage in the interview a woman who had been lesbian. Who had what? Who had been lesbian. Thank you. But but then I asked them and they
0: said they have gay members attending all the time. Yeah, gay, yeah. I'm telling you what you're hearing is it's the same thing we got in the Mormon church. You're hearing the facade, you're hearing the, the public answers, but you are not hearing, if you sit and talk to them behind the scenes, what does tithing mean? What does membership mean? What do you expect of people? If you say, do you expect people who are gay and attending your church to change? Oh yeah, definitely. They need to change their orientation. Definitely. What do they teach people about hell? Do they teach them the actual literal thing? No, they don't. What do they teach them about end times? They teach them Jesus is coming. You better be ready. Why don't they change those things? Because when you build, when you build a community and it's big and it needs money, you gotta feed that community. It's we're go- if you strive. To attain something, you have to strive to maintain something. And once you set your feet on this is what we preach, this is what we talk about, the truth takes a back seat. They can never change their mind on things. They can never allow people in there to to say, wait a minute, we don't, never. It becomes Mormonism all over again. You belong to the group. You become a member. These are the expectations. Here's another thing. They have a, a kind of a strategy. They'll say, oh, I mean, not a strategy. Uh, a leveling. They will preach and teach. You need to get up to be this level of member at South Mountain because this level of member is more faithful. They don't say that, but that's what the implication is. And if you're not at this level, it's okay. Don't worry about it. But it's the same thing as being an Aaronic and a Melchizedek and a high priest. It's the same type of stuff. They just repackage it. But the bottom line thing that that is doing and what other churches doing, including K2, with putting tithing on people, is that it is putting them in bondage to believe that they have to, to make God happy with them, give to the church. The church is there to serve them, to serve those people. And to be there for their every need. Now, maybe you think the serving comes through those material things. Okay, you can go to a church like that. But I am going to be vocal to truth seekers. And I want any XLDS, I want any person who goes in that church to know there is another way. It's a better way. And you are free in Christ in that way. And they're not doing it. They're not doing it. And it pisses me off it because they were one of the, of the 10 that we went to. So there's my response to why I was so, how could you just get on there and say, this is a great place if you were once Mormon and are looking for a church, go. It offers them bondage. I don't think people should be in bondage. Uh, the word tithing, John, uh, he gave me a, 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 a printout this thick to take home and study. And so take home and study this, and this is our reason for tithing. It was the biggest, it was like reading something from fair. It was just like, so what, what? Give me a break. These are your rationalities. I wrote him back. I said, here's the reason why uh, you don't preach tithing. I gave him not a word back. I I will fight these guys till the end of the day when they place their material dream, their material vision of their church, Paul Roby's vision of what church is going to be. They went out uh, to... 3 weeks ago they did a full hour long on money. Full hour long. They said we are a corporation. That's how they're moving around this now. Churches are a corporation. And through this corporation you choose if you like our product and you like what you're getting from the corporation and you support it. It was a full hour. I have people who sent me the notes. That is not that is not what Jesus came to die for. It is, not, it is men manipulating God's name. Now, I don't care if someone else... I'm proud Disneyland is clean. I love that. And if Mormonism becomes completely secular and gets rid of all of its religious side, I love how they do business. But don't freaking bring God and Jesus' name into it and put it on people to perform. That is not what the faith is about. So, Throw it <laughs> <on>!
1: <laughs> So, I, you know, I imagine there may be some people from... SMCC who end up listening to this. Uh, If you do, let me just repeat to you kind of the the things I heard. I don't mean to be inflammatory when I say accusations, but I think evidence is important. So some of the things I heard is that they skim uh, donations made that are intended for charities. You're saying you know that they skim some of that. I'm saying that's the game in church. That they do it, I don't know. But when I see it, I say, I think that's going on. Okay, you're saying that they won't disclose their salaries publicly if asked no okay um so you know i'm not saying you have to i'm just saying that's something that you can or cannot provide if you want to respond to these things if you don't that's fine too um you you say that they they find ways to pressure people to pay tithing definitely and for you tithing is not of
0: god or of jesus it's the bible i go by the Bible. Well, Malachi has tithing. We're talking about Old and New Testament. Big difference. Old Testament has... Slavery, yeah. genocide, whatever. Okay. A lot of temples, a lot of different things. And then you're saying that LGBT
1: people, if they're in a relationship with another LGBT person, it's your view that they're not welcome as LGBT people in the congregation?
0: If their mindset is, I'm LGBTQ and I'm happy with it, never. If they if they say that. yeah they're not welcome no way no way okay i mean that's not what they said or at least that's not what i heard yeah now when you when they might say well they're welcome they're welcome to come and visit with us but if they you know we have a pride parade if they act that way in the church we're gonna have to let them know i mean just point blank ask paul roby uh is homosexuality a sin
1: we talked about that in the interview what did he say it, it, it was i think it was more rick at that point mm-hmm. but um but he, he said, yes, but we're all sinners. It was, it was a shade more conservative than your view, mm-hmm.
0: but your view was a sh- only a shade different, right? Yeah. But the thing is, is that the shade is uh, is significant when in fact behind closed doors and in their theology, they, if they were not in the public eye talking to you, they would not, that's the thing that irritates me about that type of place and specifically South Mountain, and specifically Paul Roby, is that what they say is not what they're really about. And I will, that's just my, that's my explanation. I don't think if the rubber met the road and the three of us were sitting here and I could ask them questions, I don't think that they could support what they're saying by what they actually do. Remember the story I told you when you called me uh, on it is hearsay because it was a second party, but I trust this party, told me that a woman lost her son to uh, suicide and that he was a homosexual and he killed himself. And she asked Roby, uh, where's my son? Or what's the, how how can I get comfort in this? And he told her he's in hell. He's in hell. That is not freedom in Christ. That's not encouraging. That is dogma that slips in. They have a dogmatic approach to, to theology, which traps people with religion and they can they can song and dance it all they want when they're in the public eye. But the bottom line is uh, that's what they do. But the other thing is you are happy that they spent time talking about getting out of debt. And so then it becomes sort of a social club. It becomes a, a, a thing where you're self-improvement. That is not what Christianity is. It's not, a, it's not a self-improvement. It's a God improving in you. It's letting God work in you. It's teaching the word. They don't teach it. At least they didn't when I saw it. So I have these criticisms against any church that is pulling LDS people. Now, remember, they're like sheep. They're like lambs. They're vulnerable. They're vulnerable. And you take a vulnerable. Now, they'll say, oh, and if you're new, you don't need to pay. But then in another message a week later, they'll say, now, as you grow in Christ and when you're a mature Christian, well, God expects you to then be a member and. And in part of that membership, it says pay a full support, commit to it in writing how much you'll give. There's all these other things that prey upon their innocence. Everyone wants to please God who's in a church. So they use those things to trap them. And I just don't think it's, it's right. I think it's wrong. And um, I feel really, you
1: know, I've, I've always liked you. I've always uh, respected you. And so uh, on the one hand, I don't, you know, I don't love contention for contention's sake. Yeah. And especially when I feel like people of good hearts and of good intent are trying to do good in the world. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't like to see good people kind of fighting or trying to take each other down or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so I felt torn about this interview, mm. but I wanted to give you your say. Mm. But I feel like, you know, if, if South Mountain watches this A and then cares, you know, I do want to invite you guys to, provide whatever responses you want i don't know how that would happen we haven't even brought k2 in yet or other churches but um but uh, you know i just want to make sure people understand that i just want people to find health and goodness um
0: but i wanted to give you a fair shot at can i say one more thing yeah remember when we talked about the law if you put up a law you automatically become a sinner and that's so you're dead to the law as paul taught well, the word tithe is, as you know from being LDS, it really means ten, a tenth part, but it actually means more in the Old Testament. And so when you use that term, especially on people who are formerly Mormon, they have an automatic idea of what that means. What you have done is you've put a roadside in their head and you've said 10%. And people who want to please God, who want to belong, who want to participate or be in the thing... They believe, coming from Mormonism, that is, that is necessary. The use of the word in this state alone, it should be just... The Christians in this state alone should never use it. Not because it isn't supported by the New Testament. Just because it is an affront to people coming out of the faith of Mormonism. The, but they don't. And they all use it on their people. And I Cringe when I think of someone who is broken by Mormonism stepping into a church and hearing, We'll now collect your tithes. And God loves a a cheerful giver. And if you're a good follower of Jesus in this strata of belief where you've joined South Mountain, then we'll accept your tithes. To me, it's anathema to the dead to the law that Paul uh, preached. All right. All
1: right. So, um, So now I wanted to turn to how you run things here on, you know, Campus Church. What, what is different about the Campus Church experience than what someone would get at K2 or South Mountain or Calvary Baptist or whatever?
0: Oh, so, I'm so glad you asked. It is boring. It is hard for people who, and so I admit there is a need for other churches. This place is for people who are seeking to understand God through the Word. That's what it's for. We show up, we have no anything, we just show up, whoever's here, we start the cameras, we have a prayer, we sing the Word of God set to music. So we don't sing modern Christian songs, we don't have a band, it's pre-recorded, no one's up here before them, and we sing verses like the Jews did. Uh, We sit in silence and then we teach verse by verse and we go through an entire book and we go through the entire Bible verse by verse through the book. And we look at every passage with its historical and linguistic setting. And we try to explain what we think it means under the auspices of, I could be wrong. We end with a prayer. Oh no, we end with a and A. And so this is online. People have called in from other places or they're in the audience and they have the microphone, Sean, what do you mean by this? Or I don't like this, or this is how I see it. If someone says, this is how I see it, That's great. I I may be wrong. It's always, I may be wrong. And then we have a prayer and we leave. We do that in the morning, we do that at night, that's it. That is what the church is for. Now, during the week, I have people call and say, "My, my husband wants to leave me, I've committed adultery, I'm doing this, I need help, I'm addicted to drugs. Will you meet with me? And I meet him in a central location, usually a restaurant, and we sit and I counsel people all week long. We answer emails from people around the world who are still watching our old shows. And that is campus church. I mean, that's it. We've done marriages here. We don't take a cent for marriages. We don't take a, we have open water baptisms. Someone wants to be baptized in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they can. Someone wants to be baptized in Jesus' name alone. A woman wants to baptize. A child wants to baptize another person. It's open. The people decide how they're going to live their faith. We teach what we think. They're open to do it. It's a subjective approach to the faith. And that, we believe, is the spirit of liberty, there, There is a box in the back. I've never pointed the box out. I've never stopped and said, hey, we're in need for money. On a Sunday, that has never come from my mouth. It never will. And people, some people choose to support us in that box. Not very many. Most of our support comes from because we have a presence online and people like what we do. So they support us that way. But here within uh, campus, I don't know the numbers, but I'll tell you, I think we probably get about... Uh, maybe 1000 uh, maybe $1,500 $1, a month. And uh, we have range from those two services somewhere between 80 to 100 to 25 to 35. It goes back and forth. We have people who stand up and say you're a heretic because if something I'll say this is my view, they'll storm out, we'll say we love you, come back anytime, you're always welcome. It's an open, free-flowing forum and it's not meant for them to serve us. We are here to do what pastors, like Isaiah, like Ezekiel says, we are to feed the sheep the word of God. That is the pastor's job. And it's none of the other ancillary stuff that makes churches popular who build up those models and then have to sustain them through words like tithing. That's campus. So there's no like baptism for membership? No, no. There's no membership? No. And then do people get baptized? You you mentioned baptism, but I don't understand. We have an open water baptism in the summer. We take this uh, cow trough out there and uh, we have people who've never been here come drive in because they've seen it or heard about it was happening. Come and they want to get baptized. Because they love Jesus and they feel like they should be baptized. We don't do an interview. We don't care what they say. There's no profession they have to make. It's them and God. There's Not immersion necessarily? Doesn't have to be. You want to be sprinkled? We just say we, we have immersion because I think that's a good biblical model as sustained by being buried with Christ and rising to new life. But you don't have to. It's all open to the individual. Is the baptism
1: required to get to heaven like Mormons no. think? No. Is there a gift of the Holy Ghost equivalent? No. What about sacrament, bread, water, wine?
0: Uh, Jesus said, do this until I come to his 12 apostles. He, that's the context. You thought he came. So I think he came. So we don't do it unless someone says, I would like to have communion. So we have grape juice here, and we have real wine there, and we have unleavened bread that Kathy Maggie makes, and we play a scripture that's for the singing, and people come up and eat it if they want, and that's the communion we do, and we do it maybe three to four times a year. If people request it. I don't ever do it perfunctorily or, or, or insist that we do it. It's just what people want. Yeah. Are there offices, deacon, whatever, no offices? They're done away with. It's fulfilled. No material church, remember? Uh, so that's why I even hesitate of, of saying this is a church. It's, it's just a gathering place of believers to hear the word and go out and live the Christian life. Um. That's what people need in the state, John and I'm being emphatic, they don't need. I mean, if someone needs a a social club and they go to a church to get it, okay. But that church better do the part that they're supposed to do, and that's keep them free and teach them the word. When they start to divert from that and they start to make it something different, you're going to hear from me at least because that's what the word says. You know, Jesus didn't have a building fall out of the air. It's a spiritual event.
1: So, um, I mean, all basically, they started small, like you, in any church. They start small, probably meet in someone's house, then they outgrow it, and then they, they maybe meet in some school, and then they outgrow it, and then they lease some building, and then they outgrow it. And the whole time they're preaching the Bible, the whole time they're trying to help people be better. They're helping people form a community. Mm-hmm. They're encouraging to be good spouses, good parents, good citizens. They're encouraging uh, charitable endeavors. They're encouraging people to read the Bible and to study it. Like, what's wrong with all that? Like,
0: What's wrong with Mormonism?
1: Yeah, but I mean, that's, what's wrong with Mormonism is some people would say, well, Joseph Smith, he made it up. The
0: Book of Mormon so is in John Scripture. Calvin. I mean, we can go endlessly on making the comparisons when we justify the existence of a church just because it started small. To me, in my world, the way it works, and I've seen it work this way, if you get big, you're doing something wrong. I mean, how can you shepherd, pastor, sub-pastor a a church if you don't know the people's names? How can you have a mega church and be a true pastor? Oh, they'll say we have sub-pastors. Look, you know as well as I do, no one wants to go to the sub-pastor. They want to go to the bishop. They want to go to the priest. They want to go to the pastor. So the sub-pastor answer doesn't work. You can't pastor a group of people who you don't even know all their names. There's another criticism of South Mountain. It's an easy place to slip in and slip out and feel that you've done something with God. He doesn't care about that. He cares about the heart. He cares about the relationship, the truth. So as they're growing from a school to this and that, are they growing in truth or are they staying in the traditions, they have to maintain in order to survive and grow. And I guarantee you, it's the latter.
1: So on a, on a given Sunday here, you won't probably know everyone's name, especially if someone
0: just kind of wanders in off the street. No, but if they're a visitor, I'll get to know them. If they come again, I'll get to know them, certainly. But yeah. your internet audience, you don't know them. No, and, 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 but at least they're getting the word of God. And I don't claim to be their pastor. That's why when you said, what are you? I say, I'm a, I'm a pastor." I mean, I am... I don't let them look to me as someone that you've got it right. I've got it wrong. Teach me. Never. They have it better than I do. And probably in most cases, all I am is a teacher. That's what I do is I teach. And that's my call is to be a teacher. And every pastor should be a teacher and then pastor the people in their immediate physical congregation. You're right about that. I, we, I, I do have phone calls and conversations with people who watch online, and I do have email conversations, but probably not with everybody. So that's a, that's a failing on our part. What if someone in the audience wanted to preach? They've done it. Come on up. They don't, though. I'll tell you why. They don't want to put the effort and time in to do it that it takes to really teach it and, and teach it where it's almost irrefutable about what it's saying relative to content and I mean, context. If you spend the time, you do it. And anybody who comes here, if they watch how it's done, they're, if they say, I want to do it, we'll say, guys want to do it? Come on up. No problem. I, I'm nothing but the teacher. And if someone else wants to teach, I'll be glad to share it. But I do feel a responsibility to teach them the word because of the time I put into it and have put into understanding it. And that is part of my call for the LDS, to help them understand the Bible. If they don't like my views, they're welcome to it. And that's another thing. How many people can say, we don't like your views on this to a pastor? You can't do it. How many churches will allow a Q&A? I mean, they, that's the difference between the two. They should have allow... Sunday
1: school. That's what Sunday school is for. Okay.
0: All right. From the pastor answering? No, yeah. Usually not. Yeah. So, and, that, and when you say the Sunday School, what we're doing is we're going back into hierarchy for church, which is an old, te- which is a New Testament construct that they've borrowed and implemented, thinking we need to do this because that's what was done then. What did Jesus mean when he said to Peter,
1: upon you I will build my rock? Did he say my church? Yeah, my church.
0: What did he mean? And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. What did he mean? He asked him before. He said, these guys are, what do people think of me? And they said people think this of you, people think that of you. And he says, what do you think of me? And Peter said that you are the son of the living God. And he said, upon this, you." Uh, he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven, upon this, this revelation that my father has given to you, upon this, I will build my church. Now the Catholics say, upon Peter, I will build my church. And the Mormons say, upon the authority that Jesus, Jesus is saying, upon the authority I'm going to give you, I will build my church. And the evangelicals that you don't love so much, what do
1: they interpret that to mean? Uh,
0: I think they uh, interpret it to mean the same thing I do. Yeah. They're I don't, just, I, do it I it love the evangelicals. Way. I just don't like what they do. I don't think it's in harmony with the contextual understanding of scripture I, or the spirit. The spirit, it says where, Christ, where the spirit of Christ is, there is liberty. There's no liberty where there's law. There's no liberty where there's law. There's only sin. And they, they break that and they're inconsistent in how they apply it. Like you mentioned, you're saved. You're, you're welcome here as you are. Come here as you are. You're, you've been saved, by you received Jesus. Let them stand up in the audience and kiss their husband goodbye, one man to another. And you see what they do with them being free. They're not free. They don't preach true freedom in Christ. They preach religion because they have to do that to keep everybody happy. If you don't conform, you're cast out. And they do it, anyone will do it along the road because they have to keep that people happy. You're reminding me of the
1: the, the Mormon temple ceremony when, when Satan brings out the pastor and yeah. there's that dialogue about, they want religion. You want someone to preach to you. Yeah. I wonder if that's what they were getting at. Maybe. You know,
0: Maybe. So you're
1: down on churches and religion generally. Absolutely, in this day and age. But I think South Mountain has that, that, that
0: religions are bad. Like, oh, Of course they preach yeah. that. they, they are anti you know, There's billboards on the I-15 of churches in the valley, not religion. But every one of them preach religious tenets. Every one of them preach repentance. Every one of them. Ask South Mountain, do you preach repentance? Repentance, repentance for what? Didn't Christ say, preach nothing but repentance? Okay. Again, Christ was to the house of Israel and he was talking to his apostles who were sent to nobody but the Jews. To them, they had the Messiah predicted to them. They had to repent for their wayward ways. Paul came along, did not preach repentance. Paul said to the Gentiles, just believe. Just believe. The repentance part is done. Sin's gone. You're not repenting for sins. That's a, that's a, a wheel. You're a hamster on a wheel for repenting of sins for that. You're the bishop's office revolving door. And you're going in and out because you masturbated that night or you swore at your mom the next day. That's done away with in the true faith. They, The Christian churches don't preach that because they need to have that revolving door in some sense. Are you, are you aware of kind of logical fallacies, the, the, kind of the
1: basic logical fallacies like ad hominem? Some of heard? them, not all of them. So there's, there's one fallacy, and I may get this wrong, but this is just my understanding of it. It's the no true Scotsman fallacy. Oh, yeah, what is that? Have you heard of that? I've heard of it, but I can't remember it. I don't know for sure, but imagine some Scottish guy... Who's like, well, he's not a real Scotsman. He's not a real Scotsman. I'm the one true Scotsman. Yeah. But no one else is the true Scotsman. Right. Sometimes, you know, that does come to mind when I'm hearing you talk. It's sure. like, well, that Christian church
0: doesn't do it quite right. That one doesn't, that one doesn't, that one does it. But I do it right. No. Uh, we don't do it right because we are humans and I'm fallible. The institution, if you want to call it that, is fallible. Campus will serve. I mean, we don't do it right. I teach things that are wrong. I teach doctrines that are wrong, but there is a difference. There is a difference when someone who will take another human being and in God's name put them under bondage. I don't think that's saying I have it all right and you're all wrong. I think it's just saying that's not correct, that's not fair. According to what the Bible says, that is not logically consistent. You are playing religion with these people. You're not bringing Christ in to set them free for something that has been taken care of 2,000 years ago. I think there's a big difference between the true Scotsman uh, analogy you just used. I have no problem. Look at people gonna do church, fine, but I, I came here to help people leave Mormonism. They did. I watched where they went. Then six months, a year later, I get the emails. They're telling me I gotta do this. They're telling me I need to do that. I feel like I'm a Mormon again. This is just like Mormonism again. After you get enough of those, you start saying, What are they doing? This is not even in harmony with, with what the Bible says. They're just moving it to seem like it. They are playing church, they're institutions. That is not, the, the church is a body of believers, not an institution. There's no true church on the face of the earth there's a body of believers. They might be Muslim. They might be Hindu. They might be Christian. They might be call themselves atheists. but in their heart, they are gods. They love others. They are part of his community. That is the real church. These guys try to make it like be part. If they have a membership, they're saying this is exclusive. You need to be with us because we have doing it the right way. And then they impose money with it. No way. No way.
1: So, can you name any other churches in Utah that are doing it right or doing
0: it right enough? I I can't name any church. Uh, I think that um, they all have problems. For instance, we have a problem. And that is, I don't hold people uh, accountable for things that perhaps I should in a physical facility. Uh, We let people come and do kind of what they want. And maybe I should be better at that. Maybe that's a better steward of the sacred funds we get. So I have a problem. I haven't been to, I've only been to 10 of the largest churches. I stopped after that. I was just going to the major draws to see what we could see. So I'm sure, and this is another thing, John, I am certain there's great old pastor out there. And this is the thing. They are doing their job. They're teaching the word. They're loving on the sinner. They're loving on the saint. They're welcoming everybody. And it's a good old down home. Hey, we're going to love in this church. And what you are, don't worry about it. And they bring that peace and they give that liberty. I know the world has those guys everywhere. And they put me to shame as men. So I'm not saying we're the only way. But when these big guys start coming up and, and when they get big, you know there is a model in place. And when you said you need to start a, a, a megachurch, it's virtually impossible. There's an old saying, you can't, The Indians have it. You can't be a millionaire and an honest man. And there's something to that. There is a selling off of something when you get to those levels. When it comes to when it comes to corporations, fine. Comes to God, no, no way. No way. Come on, man. Like, no
1: man. Think about like Joel Osteen, like Oh God. Well, wait, what's wrong with with improving the lives
0: of tens of thousands <laughs> of people instead of hundreds? The, the game is not improving the lives. And this is where you and I are probably... No, for you and me, it, it is. This is where we're going to have our biggest divide. No, no, no. I know that that's what I'm trying to do. No, no, no. That's and I what, think
1: that's what you're trying to
0: do. You got to understand, that. That's not what you're trying to do. No, I am trying to get people to improve their lives through Jesus right. in them. Right, right. Okay, but it, Joel Osteen, he's trying to get people to improve their lives through positive mental attitude. And other people are trying to improve their lives through legalism that you have to do this and you have to do that. So it's the means to improve the life that matters. Because there are great things that will improve life, but they have nothing to do with God. The army will will turn some reprobate kid into an improved person. I'm not about that at all. Okay, so why not,
1: instead of of getting hundreds of people to have a, a relationship with God that's uplifting and meaningful to them, why not build an institution Where you're helping thousands or tens of thousands of people because that. that has
0: to be sustained that institution that has hundreds or tens of thousands has to be sustained which is why osteen at first didn't want people coming into his church who were part of that flood he said no 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 because you're going to soil the carpet of our place it has to be sustained when your numbers get too big a shepherd always was a shepherd in israel when he could name his sheep they knew him by name jesus said he could call them by name. That's literal. That's well. It, I think it was because he knows their character. That's a true shepherd. If you have a sheep of, of five thousand people, Joel Osteen thirty thousand. That is not what the, the the deconstructed church is. Those humble souls who give their life to help those sheep, and they got to know them. And they, and if they get it too big with ten thousand people or one thousand people. You build it so big, it has to be sustained. And when something has to be sustained in the religion business, it takes money. And so you have to start doing collections. And you're sitting in the pew and you're thinking, Jesus, help me, I am so screwed. And here comes a plate. And everyone's looking to see if you're giving or not. You're, you're, under, you're under a bondage here. And so you, know, you only have $10 for the week, but you give five of it. That is not what God wants. He, he rails on that in the Old Testament. I don't want your rivers of oil. I don't want your sacrificed lambs. I want a broken heart and a contrite spirit. I don't, his, his church is not materially driven. Okay, so do a, do a church in a field where you don't have to pay for a physical facility. Okay, and that's kind of what we do. This place costs, costs us $1,000 a month. That's pretty much a field. If it rains, we're not gonna get wet, all right? And we have a, 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 an internet church where people can sit on their couch and they can participate in what church is without any of the encumbrances. They don't have to pay a cent. We don't know who they are. That is what church is. But when I, if I start saying, you know, we got a building fund and they all do this, we got a building we want to do. And you know, we want plush seats and we want granite. Come on. The Lord loves us. It's just a business. It's a business. The Mormons do it so good. They just put a temple in the neighborhood and get everybody to become temple worthy. They don't even have to push it. Just become temple worthy and you got to pay. They put up the building fund because it's the pastor's dream. It's part of his ego. It's an extension of his penis. He (laughs) wants to get bigger because bigger means more for him. And that's all based on him thinking that God is going to be pleased with him with a greater number than just with one person just affecting one person's life should be enough to a pastor. But those guys think, no, no. And you know what they say? How many were at church this morning? What were our numbers? How have we grown? They show the statistics. They justify their existence by numbers. Mormon church does the same thing because that's the business model. You're a businessman. You know how that works. In religion, in in real religion, it does not work that way. It's the opposite way. It's the opposite, John. And that has to be understood. If this place got past capacity here, we would, we would double services maybe, but we would never go to building a church. We have, I've said that from the beginning. I could have been a, I could have been a, 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 mega, but you have to embrace the business model. And to me, they sell their soul as strong as that is. They sell their, a piece of their soul for that dream. And that is not what a true Christian's about. Not at all. When you said
1: the thing you said about me and Denver Snuffer, was yeah. it was you. Yeah. Say it again. I think there are three true religious leaders in this state. So why? Now I'm trying to think about whether
0: that's an insult or a compliment. No, you're a, <laughs> you're a secular religious leader. You, I mean, it is a religion. Everything's a religion, really. Everything's a cult. You have a following. You provide them with a certain amount of information that helps them in their life with what they want those people who follow you, they're part of your church, they're part of your religion, and you're providing them what they want spiritually, even if it's to listen to an atheist say there's no God. You are given, you are the the secular Isaiah. You're giving them what they want, and that is how you are a real leader, because you've stepped away from the trappings of Mormonism, and you're saying, I'm going to show you what I think is better. Okay, Denver Snuffer, he's showing them what he thinks is better. That's real religion. I don't agree with it, but it's real religion because he's, he's doing it his way and he's saying this is it. I think I am because I'm doing it right in the face of everything. I'm just saying this is what, but I'm using the Bible and I can't emphasize that enough. It's not my interpretation. Other scholars agree with my interpretations. It's just I am showing them how they're wrong and what they're doing and they don't like it. They can justify like Joseph Smith. They can make up stories, and they can look so good on the surface, but in the end, what do they do to people? What do they do to people's lives? And if there's one person who feels like they need to do this for the church to be right with God, it's wrong.
1: So I interviewed some of these people, and they're like, I'm a better husband because of this church. I'm a better wife. I'm a better mom. I'm a better dad. I've stopped drinking. I've stopped sleeping around. I'm, I serve my fellow man. I do service. Like, these are good, smart people who would
0: say their lives have been positively transformed by their association. You say you the same thing about Glenn Beck when he joined the Mormon church. Yeah. He stopped drinking. He stopped fooling around. His life changed. Again, that's the biggest chasm between you and I. I want them to say, this church helped me be free in Jesus Christ. I am free from the trappings of religion because of this church. I have come to know what a real relationship is with him, where I can choose to get drunk tonight. I can choose to be sober. I can choose to uh, follow my gay lover. I can choose to be married. I, it's up to me. This church has given me freedom in Christ and placed my responsibility for my future in heaven on me and him. That's it. That's what this church has done. When you hear that, you'll hear my applause. But when you hear, yeah, they've helped me with, with this and that, fine, you know, we have any social service that can do that. And you Oprah, know, Oprah does that. Very good. Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil. It's all over the place. There's more of that Brene, than there Brene are. Brown. Right. I think churches should be doing it in Jesus' name. I think that's our job. And if we're not popular and we're not full, that's okay. But let's stick to what's true to do it. We don't need, that's, that, that's my point. That's all. I'm not against people's lives being improved.
1: So um, this takes me back to 1820, to 20 where Joseph Smith's like, there's this burned over district and the Presbyterians and the Methodists and the Lutherans and the evangelicals. I don't know which church to join. Like, you, you've not only left the predominant religion in this state, you have now sort of, in a sense, condemned all the other major players. Yeah. And I'm sure you're not a big friend of the Catholics. You
0: know, again, the Catholic people, I love.
1: No, no, no the Catholic church. Catholicism yeah though. okay, so you you're it it leaves you with this God who created this scripture and he wants this path that you think he wants for everybody, but the percentage of people who are actually finding this path that you're talking about is like even smaller than Mormonism, and Mormonism's claim is ridiculous that sixteen million out of six or eight billion are following the true path and really, you know, it's only five, maybe.
0: That's ridiculous. And your numbers are even smaller. Okay, again, It's ridiculous. You're using the quantities to justify whether it's Jesus was the one who said, as, you know, the few be there to find it, I didn't say that he did. Yeah, but that makes God super inefficient. No, 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 because you're seeing it in terms of the God of how you're thinking what God's going to do. But God is using everything to bring about his will. But I will admit there are only so many seekers in this world most people don't care but they're not coming from me and campus those those guys in the other churches who are humbly teaching the seekers when you meet them john you know them they are they are they would walk into a south mountain some of them are amish some of them, they would walk in a south mountain they turn around and walk right back out i walk in a south mountain i turn around and walk back out Anybody who loves God, who seeks God in spirit and truth, walks into the show, they'll turn around and walk back out. I'm not saying that those in there don't, but they're not at the place where they realize that what is going on there has captured them. They're in bondage to religion again. And what happens to the former Mormons is it's like a divorced person. I got divorced once. I've remarried. I can't do it again. I, there's something wrong with me if I leave another church. So they stay and they play the game and they're in bondage. And so it's not just me. It's not campus. It's any believer. When they come and are confronted with manipulation of religion, they say no. You know. It's not a numbers game, though. Remember, Jesus saved all. It's, he saved all. So it's not like God is so inefficient. Jesus saved all. But it's those who want to really know God in spirit and truth. They will find him. Those places inhibit that to a certain extent. Can I do one more example? Yeah. You know Aristotle, when the great uh, uh, systematizer of all things? Well, Aristotle comes along and he says, listen, I'm gonna tell you about how to uh, understand how to persuade people. So I want you to pretend that this is a piece of paper and we divide it right down the line. And here on this side, we have non-artistic influence or persuasion, non-artistic. And on this side, we have artistic. That's how he divided it. Non-artistic persuasion is facts. You don't need any artistry to produce facts. You just give them facts. On the other side, Aristotle said artistic, these are the ways I'm describing it. He really said technical and non-technical. But we have the artistic ways of persuading people. And what you have there is you have three words Aristotle gave us. You have ethos, you have pathos, and you have logos. Ethos is you appeal to the man and his degrees, his wisdom. Pathos is you appeal to their emotions. And then Logos is you appeal to their reason and their ability to reason. So I'm going to ask you, put you on the spot. Here's the paper, non, non-artistic, facts. And then we have pathos, Logos, ethos on, uh, okay. What is Mormonism? What What's the order of Mormonism in those things?
1: Mormonism is pretty much only a- Pathos, That's right? Right. That's yeah. right. it's like
0: all pathos. That's right. It's all pathos. So it's Second, emotion. it's emotion. Secondly, they definitely appeal to ethos. They say, "Well, our state president, he owns the authority. Authority, right? Yeah. And then they'll uh, uh, they'll use reason within the circle of what their facts are, what their doctrines are, and then they use the facts. Okay, there it is. If you take a uh, if you take a Christian church today, uh, who has rock concerts, who has appeals, and he ha- they have all that. You have a similar dynamic where they use Pathos to motivate people. That's why the rock concert system. But if you look at Jesus, Christianity with his apostles, there was no emotionalism going on there. There was none. There were facts. Th- this is what God says. That's how he said it. These are facts. And secondly, there uh, was um, logic. You know, well, he would sit with the Sadducees and Pharisees, and he would reason with them through the scriptures using the facts. Pathos was last ethos was second i'm the son of god but it was in there but ethos may have even been last i don't know so when you have a church that operates off pathos you have a church that's not operating the way jesus did in his original uh, church when you have a church that operates off ethos first which is what calvinists do which by the way is what south mountain is behind the curtain but they'll never admit it they're what calvinists it's a whole other story so so then we have ethos next look at us. I got my degree from Harvard Divinity School and I can articulate a proper hermeneutic of the scripture. Listen to me. That is not what Jesus did. He called fishermen. So churches today, they show by their approach to the faith, how errant they are. All you got to do is go to someone like Aristotle to see the facts. We lose all that because we care about emotions today, you know? And so churches like campus and the small guys out in the country who just teach the old Bible, they're not popular. But popularity does not mean being not being right.
1: Yeah, so I was going to ask you why not the charismatic, you know, uh, entertaining sermons? But you're saying that's manipulative. It's totally manipulative.
0: Yeah, that's the rock concert, and it's not Christian. You're no. Saying. And in my experience, and I've done this long enough, I think I have some. I'll appeal to my ethos of working with people who have come out of religion. One of the most damaged people religiously are the people who uh, have bought into the pathos approach to church they are damaged and they keep thinking Jesus is going to show up and heal their kid who has cancer and, and and, and no medical training, you know, he'll do it. And it's that emotional response to miracles and, and feelings. And, and no, Jesus said, look, here, here are facts. Let's reason with them. Yeah. That's what churches should be based on.
1: Okay. Well, this is interesting. So, um, So, I'm going to totally switch tracks now. Um, So, I try and make sense of this all. And, you know, the way that I sometimes tend to reduce things is, number one, none of us can really know if there's a God for sure, because so many people are going to claim to know God, but through different means and with different explanations. And none of it seems really testable or reliable. We're all gonna describe it differently. And and I've been asking God forever to come visit me and talk to me and he doesn't, so, or she doesn't or whatever. So, so you know, there's a big chunk of my listeners that are like, God's not knowable. we're all agnostics. Um, and then I think they agree. Well, they question whether Jesus really existed or not, and even if he did, they kind of view the Jesus story as just overblown, like the fish gets bigger and bigger every time you retell the story. Mm-hmm. Bart Ehrman would reflect that, that if you take the Gospels in chronological order, the story grows in Mark to, exaggeration mm-hmm. or in supernatural as you progress across mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, over time. Mm-hmm. That miracles, don't really happen that, you know, if, if faith healers really healed people, they'd just be sitting out at the hospital, just healing people as they walk in. So the people that claim to be healing are charlatans. Yeah. Maybe Jesus was a charlatan. If there are claims that he healed people, or those are just stories that got added. Jesus was just trying to preach common sense and love and wisdom. And Mm -hmm. people added those miracles on afterwards. And I'm guessing there's evidence that some of those tales are more fanciful. Um, And so we don't know, you know, there's so many people that I know are like, we don't know if there's an afterlife there. Anyone who tells you they know is probably conning you. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Anyone who tells you that they've talked to God is probably conning you. Mm -hmm. Um, And that model of, we need someone else to tell us what God says. We need prophets because God won't talk to us. That leaves us vulnerable to to abusers, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And the whole epistemology of relying on your emotions, which most religions do, Mm -hmm. is is totally fallible because anyone can whip up emotions in somebody else. Absolutely. And then use that to manipulate them. That's right. Right? Right. And then like look at the Bible or the Book of Mormon. It's like these are bronze age documents. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Book of Mormon's a nineteenth century document for many of these listeners, but a fifth of it's plagiarized right out of the new testament or old testament so they're like we've got way better wisdom now Mm -hmm. than this stuff in the bible that was written in four different languages and so long ago and all these translations we've got science now we've got modern wisdom we've got brene brown and and you know why eckhart tolle and and elaine de bouton and wise people now Mm -hmm. So we don't need God. We don't need Jesus. We don't need someone to save us. We don't need a Bible. We don't need a church. We don't need a pastor. Mm-hmm. We, what we need is common sense, good laws, uh, law-abiding citizens. We need the best books of wisdom for our time. And then we need to just focus on living in the present moment, mm-hmm. getting centered, meditate, not prayer, meditate, get still, Figure out who you are, what you're about, read from the best books, mm-hmm. have friends, have social groups, and then be as honest as you can, be as hardworking as you can, be as loving as you can, mm-hmm. serve as many people as you can. We don't need to go to a church and we don't need to read the Bible. Yeah. We can do that just because it makes sense. It's smarter and healthier to be a good person than not. Okay. So why does why do these people need, why would they need anything else? Okay.
0: First thing I would say, in all honesty, I welcome them to that path. Eckhart Tolle, any any philosopher, if that's the path and that's what you're seeking to do and be, go for it. I love you. My call is to love you as you are, whatever you do. So if your audience is 99% about that, go for it. Never come to campus, watch it, go to any other church, do what you do. That's what you believe is right. That's what you think. You're being honest with yourself, pursue it i I I've absolutely freedom is the paramount thing with God. Um, that being said, there are those who will say within me, there is something bigger. There's something more. I don't need to have Sean or anybody else. Tell me how to, I'll listen to them. But my relationship is directly with God. My, my relationships directly with God. And, and that is what I would promote. The third thing I would say, and, and this is going to be tough for you, but I, I, it's going to be tough for your audience, but i got to be frank because this is also supported by Scripture. We have an option. There is a God or there's not a God. I'm going to give an either or. If there is a God, if there is, by chance, I would suggest that if someone made this universe, these galaxies, these humans, this earth, I would suggest that if there was a he, she, or it that did that, that that God would probably appreciate humility in his creations that were formed in his image. And I think that that God would, would, would seek for his creations to be kind and, and loving and do good, et cetera, et cetera. When I read religious leaders of the past and I read about Jesus and study him for as long as I have, plus I've read the Eastern uh, mystics, I don't see that embodied better than in him. So, to me, if there's a God, then I am a Christian. Not an evangelical. I am a follower of him. If there's a God. That's how I see it. Those people who can live their life better in other ways, fine without him, have at it. And the evangelicals should shut their mouth about them going to hell and about them being inferior. The evangelicals should just get off all that because the work's been done by Jesus. Okay? Now, the other hand. If there's not a God. And this is where you and I differ. I get nothing in my person at all to be considered enlightened, to be considered a good neighbor. There is nothing in Sean McCraney's human soul that came into this earth that cares about good things. I don't care about good things in my flesh. You gotta understand that. Uh, I'm I'm demented, John. In my flesh, I'm one of the, Jean-Paul Sartre said, uh, I, I am the biggest sinner I've ever met. And I would say, no, I am. I don't say that out of false humility. It is my lot. If you were on the road with me, and I didn't have that experience where God took me blind and gave me sight, and you did something to me, I would attack you. I would attack your car. I would attack your wife. I would slit your tires. And I would consider myself, consider myself in those actions good. For the faith of the broken, the lost, the reprobates, those people who don't have the intelligence, who don't have the serotonin levels, I'm a criminal. And uh, it's not a joke. You can interview my wife sometime and talk to her or my children. I am a bad human being. And so... If there is no God, and we can prove there is no God, you enlightened guys, watch the hell out. Because guys like me are not going to make it easy on you. We are going to prey upon you. We are going to take advantage of you. We're going to feed ourselves. We don't care about your enlightened views, about being kind for kindness' sake. We care about ourselves. That is where Jesus comes in and does something that's so radical that it took a guy like me and changed me to do the good you talk about, that you naturally can do. I cannot do it. So my appeal is not to people who are enlightened and who find their religion through Oprah or or whatever, or who go to South Mountain. My appeal is people who need Jesus to heal them and free them from the confines of their flesh. When that happens, that's the real miracle. That, that beats healing a blind man, hands down. When you can change a human heart that has self-will to doing what's right, forget about it. And that's the Jesus I preach to people who are seeking liberty without any confinement.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I was talking to a guy the other day. He told me almost the exact same thing. He just said he was like, it was a mixed-faith couple where she was raised Mormon and he's Christian mm. and he was really angry because she's still willing to engage with the church at some level. Mm. And he's like, it's the wrong path, it's the wrong path. Mm. And I'm like, "Like, how about you each have your path and they're both good? And he's mm. like, oh no, 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 that's the wrong path. I'm on the right path. And I'm like, I wanted to kind of probe there. And he just said, let me just stop you now. I need this religion. Yeah. He's like, I'm not a good person without it, yeah. and this makes me, you know, when someone says that to you, yeah. you don't, you're like, dude, yeah.
0: yeah. bless you. Yeah, I need it, <laughs> and that's an open, honest admission, I need it.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So, this is the final sort of question I wanted to ask you is, so you've been doing this for 15 years?
0: Years, yeah, since two thousand and six. So, well, you wrote "Born Again Mormon," when? oh yeah, I wrote I probably two thousand. So about 15, 16 years I've been involved in ministry. Eighteen years, maybe. Okay, maybe. so how's it been for you?
1: Like, like number one, do you have regrets?
0: I have regrets in my flesh. I've made fun of people on the air when we were on TV that I regret. Uh, I regret when I get into my carnal nature and forget about love for others today, even today. Um, people can think I'm arrogant because of my presentation. I'm really, I'm only arrogant in, in describing things and arguing and talking, but I really, I really have humility of Christ in me by, because of him, not because of me. I have regrets if I am perceived as pompous and I feed into that. And if I say, I don't care if you think I'm that, I regret that. I don't have any regrets at all for the path. None at all for the path or where I'm at now or where we've been or what we went through. Not a regret. Yeah. So mistakes, big mistakes. Did you make any big mistakes? Dude, I make them all the time. Uh, the people I work with can tell you, you know, I'm, I'm the worst administrator on the face of the earth. They have to... Clout. I may challenge you on that. Really? <laughs> well, the way you answer your calls, that may be true. i have to tease I know, <laughs> right?
1: That's just one of many
0: things. Yeah, that's me too. Uh, so uh, I, do, I do make mistakes all the time. I've made mistakes in my beliefs, and I'm still going to change in my beliefs. That's the other thing is what you're hearing from me now may change uh, again. If I could be wrong in the past, I'm certainly going to be wrong in the future, and the present. So, uh, But no, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied, uh, not with myself, but with what I believe is allowing God to change a wretched man. I'm pretty satisfied with where I am and what it's been brutal to get through to that place that he is allowed in his love, what we call sin or not, what we call flesh or not. He allows that because the response in someone who loves him is humility. You know, I'm so sorry for what I'm about. Please, you know. And uh, so he uh, he grows strong in our weakness. He is strong in human weaknesses. He He's not strong in our strengths. If we're strong in an area, where's his glory? What, where is he strong in? It's just you being strong in something. But when you're broken, he is more elevated in his glory because of his love that continues on for us. So I make mistakes, but um, uh, he is always there, always will be there.
1: Um, have you had those dark moments where you're like, "Why did I do this? What have I done? How did I get here?"
0: "My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me?" Sure. Yeah, I've ha- I have them probably uh, four or five times a year, and uh, we have a strong penchant for suicide. My brother killed himself. We have a strong my sister talks about it my grandmother attempted it there's a strong line for suicide so I battle suicidal ideation especially when I distance myself from the things of the spirit so uh, when that starts to creep in I realize you're starting to go down your flesh people don't know that about me too much but yeah it's it's there
1: Um, what do you do to get closer to the spirit I
0: don't pray you regroup I, I get in the word and you don't pray no, I don't, I don't do the praying that we were taught to pray. I talk to him all day long. Like when you were talking to the, uh, Wendy and Seth and Kathy in the back, I was talking, well, How am I doing okay? To I, God? Yeah, that's how I talk. I'm just, where am I at with you? Help me, Lord, because I don't want to embarrass John. I don't want to embarrass myself. So it's that kind of diet. That is the praying. Does end. he talk back to you? No, audible. But I, I sense a peace with I'm okay. It's never you're great, dude. But it's like you're doing okay, Sean. You know, I love you know you're my son and uh, i get those reaffirmations Uh, i admit i can't prove them maybe it's me but that's what i say i'm getting from god yeah
1: and so when you say get into the word that brings you back to a better sense of spirituality it does it it brings reading the bible you mean right
0: back yeah reading the bible and i read it a lot yeah and that's the key for people who are christian people who say, well, I just don't feel and I don't, I'm not doing good. I don't, well, what are the, read the word. That's why we study the word. And that's why the churches should be teaching the word. But you know what, John, people don't want to hear it. It's boring. It's in a different language. It's cumbersome. It talks about stuff we don't get. And so churches don't teach it because it's boring. So they, what they do is they, they give their version of it. There was this guy and he was, they call him a prodigal son. You might consider and, but the word itself is very powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, divides between soul and spirit. And that is my source of understanding him more. Don't you ever look at the Bible and just go, oh my gosh, I have to read this again? No, no. How? No, never. I, I, I love it. I, I live to read it. And I know that's- That reminds me thing. of Tevye. Really? And The Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, it's yeah. like the sweetest thing
1: he knows is reading the holy book.
0: I would agree with Tevye,
1: yeah. You look like Tevye. Yeah well you're like get, a
0: christian tevye if i were a rich man <laughs> <laughs> you're not so
1: it all fits tevye and i are right there you have a new did he have three daughters he did well, i think he had at least three
0: there's me <laughs> I can't go yeah touch, i can never do right? that yeah, da, de, de, de. these no. moves will move too big on that <laughs> one
1: <laughs> okay so um do you feel like all the stuff you know you could have been wealthy you could have made a ton of money as an investor stock market guy you could have the mega church instead you're, you're still it just seems like you're fighting every year to get by yeah you yeah. probably made a ton of financial sacrifices you probably don't live in a fancy house or drive a fancy car no no you probably don't have a big retirement or a big bank account if i have
0: any kind of money it's because my in-laws passed and left mary and her sister and brother some money it's not a lot but they left them some money um, and if, my, if I have money in the future, it'll be my parents die and decide to leave me some for that. But that's where the money will come from. There's no retirement plan. We haven't had insurance until my wife started working this past year in probably 12 years. So, yeah, it's not for the, the creature comforts, no. But that, you know, there one more model. I just have to share it quickly. Jesus started his ministry off really popular. I may have shared this when I interviewed you. But it started with a party, and he made wine. And, I mean, People love the guy.
1: Someone's like, first miracle, water to wine, baby. That's right. That's right.
0: So, And nothing against that wine either, by the way. That's what they mean. Yeah. And (laughs) and as he grew, I mean, he just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So they were thronging him. And then he came out and he told them the truth. He said, listen, if you don't eat my body and you don't drink my blood, which he meant in a figurative way, you're not my disciple. That's what he taught. And it says in the scripture, and many departed from him thence. So he started on this arc of popularity. And then he kind of reached the point where I'm going to start teaching the truth. And it went down to the point where not only did his disciples all leave him, his apostles left him. And he wound up outside the city gates hanging on a cross naked like a criminal. That is the arc of a Christian in this world. It is not this. It is this. And what you're headed for is a complete death to the flesh and a life to the spirit. And so I don't mind the difficulties in the, in the flesh because it's mandated as a Christian. That is what the call is. It's not to be something in this world. It is to probably be nothing in this world and to be large in spirit. I hope I can get there. Yeah.
1: There's an acceptance element to that, which comes out of Buddhism as well, where Definitely. life has suffering. So just expect the suffering. Expect it. And that can almost
0: liberate you. It does liberate you. When you expect it. Buddha under the bow tree, first principle, life is difficult. So you're okay with Buddha a little bit oh yeah so much good stuff there sure
1: so I know it's been hard for you I know you've sacrificed it a lot what's made it worth it all the sacrifices how has it been worth it
0: for you Uh, I have personally changed when I thought there was no hope my wife has come to know the Lord my three daughters all walk with him and the sense of non-religion freedom in Christ I'm surrounded by people there's not a lot of us but they're the salt of the earth I I love them I relate to them because of their love for God and that is a reward in this world to be able to sit and relate with people on a spiritual level who have the same ambitions for you that aren't tied to your prosperity or your anything it's just we're all in this together and then we've been able to affect other people's lives, which the emails reflect, and that is a great reward. It, it, it trumps any of uh, the downside, you know. I don't mean to besmirch Paul and, and, and uh, Rick. K2 and Rick. And I, I, I'm not attacking the men. I'm attacking what the men are doing in God's name. They are probably better Christians than I have ever been. They probably live moral, more, better lives morally than I ever have. I know they probably mean well. It's not that they don't mean well. It just mean, I just think they've been misguided, and I think they've lost the way because of what the culture of Christianity gives them today. And I think they think it's acceptable, and I just don't believe it is acceptable. So I, I'm sorry if it comes off as, you know, I, I know I'm bold and brash that way, but I think it could be better in this state especially.
1: So if you were to give our listeners a final sermonette or closing testimony or... Words of wisdom. Look into that camera and and preach your final. Well, for now, Mormon Story sermon. Maybe in ten years we'll
0: do this again. Maybe in ten. <laughs> uh, my final thought won't be long. Uh, I've talked enough. But if you are, um, if you haven't been burned completely by your experience in Mormonism, if you're willing to to pursue truth, pursue it wherever it can be found. Do not. Be fearful of facts. Investigate, question, but keep your heart open. My advice to anybody would be go to God, yourself, and just say, I don't know if you exist. I don't know what you are, uh, but I wanna know truth. Here's the deal, here's the gig. Your heart has to believe what you're about to say next. I'll do anything you want If you show yourself in my life. But God knows your heart. He knows if you're sincere, or he knows if you have some caveats. Well, I won't do that, I won't do that, and I'm not going to give my life for you. You know, He knows all that. But if you really want truth, don't go to a man, don't go to me or anybody else. Go to God and say, I want it. Like we say Joseph Smith did. Go to God. Ask Him. And if you really want to know it and you're willing to wait for Him and you're willing to pursue Him and do what he wants when he says, and he will speak if, you want, if your heart's right. I promise you the most radical transition in your life that you will ever expe- believe you can experience. It won't be easy, but it will definitely be worth it. And I don't think it's ever tied to a religion. That's what I would say. Where's the Bible and all that? Comes along later. <laughs> Map for people to pick up and start to learn. That's the first step I share. <clears throat>
1: Sean McCraney, everybody, Born Again Mormon, uh, Campus Church in Murray, Utah. The website is? Campuschurch.tv. You can check out Heart of the Matter every... Tuesday night, eight to nine. And it's also on YouTube. It's all over YouTube. Yeah, hotm.tv.
0: Dot Dot TV. Yeah. Um, thank you for coming back on Mormon Stories john i really appreciate you having me i realize you know i I sing a different song than maybe what most of your believers want to hear but i really appreciate your willingness to have me and to take the time to sit here and ask me really good questions i've gotten some excellent questions from you and so i really appreciate i love you and uh love what you do and uh (laughs) i know we are going to be friends here and there can we party there we will party like a mad dog there. I don't know. Can what I be that. in the wall or outside the wall? Right, that's up to you. Will you come visit me that's outside? That's up to him and will you. Will you come visit me outside the I wall? I will climb I'm... that wall like an escaping prisoner. <laughs> okay. I'll drag Jesus with me. We got to go see John. You're coming with me. <laughs> and he'll say, I've been going to see John forever. He just is a little bit resistant. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: good. Love you too, Sean. Love you too. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today on Mormon Stories. Thanks, Sean and the wonderful crew at Campus Church. Uh, You guys know who you are for helping out. Uh, Thanks to everyone at the Open Stories Foundation who makes this stuff possible. Um, Want to thank uh, our our donors, everyone who donates to the Open Stories Foundation or Mormon Stories podcast. Uh, We want to thank you for your support. Your contributions make uh, all this possible with our staff and with me. we uh, we want to encourage those of you if you value this programming and you want to see it continue. Uh, we do encourage you to uh, to support us. This is a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, your donations are tax deductible in the United States. All the money goes towards the mission, and uh, we're transparent. So we, we report more than we have to according to the rules of the IRS, so that you know where the money goes and we're just grateful for everyone who supports us. So you can go to mormonstories.org, click on the donate button in to the top right, become a monthly subscriber, 10, 20, 50, 100 bucks a month, whatever you can afford, we'll put it to good use and to help enlighten people and to help, help them see ways of healing and growth and even spirituality uh, after they leave Orthodox or fundamentalist Mormonism. And uh, so please support us. There are lots of ways to support us. Uh, Check out our events page. We do workshops and retreats to support people who need support in their faith crisis. mormonstories.org slash events. We're coming to Boise, Park City, uh, Houston, Idaho Falls, and then we're doing that Caribbean cruise in October. Come check some of those out if you're interested, if you need some support. Um, You can like our Facebook page at Mormon Stories Podcast. You can give us a positive review on the Mormon Stories Podcast Facebook page. Uh, that helps when all the haters come and give us one-star reviews. We want to get to five. We've got a 4.9 average. I want to get to five. <laughs> help us get to five. I know we can do it. Uh, please help us out. You can also give us a positive review on YouTube, uh, U- iTunes. Uh, you can go there, give us a five-star rating and a positive review. That all helps. You can follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter at Mormon Stories and share these interviews uh, with anyone who you think could benefit. If you think someone could really benefit from Sean's message, pass it along. Post it on social media. Post it on Facebook, wherever you can. Spread the word. That's probably the best way that you could help us. So thanks again uh, to you, Sean. Thanks to everyone at the Open Stories Foundation. And uh, we've got more super cool stuff in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, The cool interviews just never stop. Uh, So check us out soon again on mormonstories.org. Take care, everybody.